This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. You know, a lot's been going on here locally in the Bloomington area, South Central Indiana as well. This past year, 2021, and a lot is going to be going on as we go into 2022. We're not even two weeks into the new year. So I thought it might be a good idea for us to uh, go over some of the news stories that are of interest to our listeners and to everybody here in Bloomington. And who better to help me do that than the news director of this very radio station, Community Radio, WFHB, Cade Young. Cade, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. Now, Cade has been on the job for uh, more than two years. I'm pretty sure about that. Just over two years. Whatever goes on here in Bloomington, you have to be on top of. All around the whole city, there are so many things that are going on. And I've got a big, I've got a six page list right here, Cade, of news that's been happening here. Let let me throw out a few topics to you. One thing that's big in the news annexation and the former Bloomington Hospital site. What's going to happen with that? The new Bloomington Hospital site, what is happening with that? We have an ongoing problem with hiring and retaining police officers here in Bloomington. How about this? This is almost gossipy, Cade. The Bloomington City Council is sort of dividing itself into rival caucuses. Uh, The Waldron Arts Center is uh, back open to the public. It's been transferred from Ivy Tech back to the city of Bloomington. I just read recently that there's a possible local income tax increase. Hey, I could go on and on, and we will, you and I, going over all these stories. There is a lot going on. What, in your view, is the biggest story happening in Bloomington ongoing now? COVID has been going on for quite some time and the Omicron variant being here, I know we're in the the orange category right now. We're, we're headed to the red category and Brian Shockney um, at the last COVID-19 press conference gave some startling numbers about hospitalizations. They're almost, I think, double what they were at the this time last year. So that's definitely of prime concern, but I will say the COVID story has been going on for what we're going on year three of the pandemic now. So that's a story that's kind of been out there and been covered quite a bit, but there's lots of things, Mike, it's hard to pinpoint the biggest story that's going on right now. There's definitely undercovered stories. I would say stories that didn't get as much coverage as they should have. And one of those being uh, the Malik Malik story. He was in a police chase with the Monroe County Sheriff's department. And he ended up, uh, he, he died he died when the car lit on fire and the sheriff's department was there on the scene. And it, there seems to have been um, some questions unanswered that the family was really concerned about. So that's a story that we're covering now. We have a grad student, Kayan Tara, who's on that story. Um, so that, that's a story that's mainly just 
it was under discussed at the time, but you know, there's tons of things in the news cycle that come up, but, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly what the biggest story is right now. I know annexation is another big one. Annexation is big. And uh, the latest news that I've been hearing and you've been hearing as well is that the remonstrance numbers uh, look pretty good for people who are against annexation. Much of the remonstrance has been led by a woman named Margaret Clemens. Last I heard, Cade, tell me what you know. If remonstrance is successful, the mayor and the city will institute a lawsuit to overturn that. Right. So I spoke with Margaret Clemens during Monday's local news, and she is the president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation. And she's a really good source. I mean, they really had a strong grassroots effort and organization around annexation and, and the remonstration process, which can be confusing to some people. Um, there's a, It's there's confusing a lot to me. Right, right. It's confusing to me, and I've been covering it for quite some time. But, right. um, but I will say the numbers that the MCRAA, the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, the numbers that they have come up with in terms of signatures, they predict that eight out of nine, at least eight out of nine, possibly even nine out of nine of the annexed areas, the proposed annexed areas, have enough signatures to remonstrate. There's still a 35-day period where an auditor needs to actually count and verify those signatures. Um, so we won't know the official ruling, if you will, until another 35 days or so. But it seems like the counter, the city's counter to that, if remonstration is successful, is to file a lawsuit. So, and again, that's just more time in the courts. And this has been going on since, uh, what, 2017 and even before then. Speaking of going to the courts and lawsuits, the Schooner Creek Farm lawsuit is still pending for people who might not remember, but gosh, that was a huge story. 2019, uh, like about 100 years ago, uh, Cade, Schooner Creek Farm uh, was a vendor at uh, the farmer's market. And the story goes that uh, one or more of the members of Schooner Creek Farm were also participants in what can be described as a white supremacist organization. Right. And so I was hired as news director in 2019, late 2019. And this was probably the first big story I covered, along with our assistant news director at the time, Sydney Foreman. And we had this big, ambitious idea to report on this story and talk to as many people as close to Schooner Creek Farm as possible, right? That was quite a fiasco. So basically, you have somebody who is a part of the American identity movement, uh, Sarah Dye, which is characterized as a white supremacy organization. Now it denies being such, right? To be clarified, but um, their views are consistent with white supremacist groups, um, sort of a white identitarian group. She was at the farmer's market and this, this all came out on the internet that uh, a vendor at the Bloomington farmer's market was uh, associated with this group. So we actually had the chance to interview her and we interviewed a lot of people around this including Vox Booker, uh, members of Black Lives Matter, Bloomington, and Sarah Dye herself. And boy, was that a, a crazy, crazy story. 
the possibility exists. It may reach adjudication this year, 2022. But then again, with these lawsuits, who the heck knows? Right. And it's tricky. That was a conversation that had a lot to do with free speech, the First Amendment. Where is the line there, you know, between holding these beliefs and being able to have the freedom to hold these beliefs, but they're hateful ideas. And so what can a city do if, if, if these values are not aligned with the city's values, can the city kick them out, so to speak? And it looked like the city was not willing to, to make that move. And it was interesting that the mayor is not afraid to go to the courts on a lot of things, right? Funny, on, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Funny, isn't it? And, and what was interesting about the Schooner Creek farm ordeal was that he really wouldn't cater, you know, to the voice of the people, to activists who were calling on him to say, hey, our our views don't align with white supremacy. So, you know, these kinds of views are not accepted at the farmer's market. And he would ultimately probably face a lawsuit if that happened. And he was unwilling to do that. So it's interesting what is selective by the, the city and the administration as to what they'll go to court for. And clearly, social justice in this sense was not one of them. It's funny you should have described the Schooner Creek lawsuit thing and the whole contretemps as a fiasco, because there was another fiasco uh, last fall. The Bloomington Fire Department set ablaze uh, a big house on High Street that was scheduled to be demolished. And lo and behold, there was smoke and ash. And in that smoke and ash were lead. Imagine that. And so the air and the soil became laden with lead. Right. And that was a training exercise by the fire department at a 1950s era home, right? And lead paint was used during that time. And I can't believe the fire department didn't test for lead prior to this happening. So I woke up on Monday morning with a tip from Matt Murphy, who was a, a local resident who went out to go see the prescribed burning. And I, I had read the week prior about a prescribed burning of a home near College Mall, that area off of uh, High Street. And I didn't think much of it. You know, I didn't really uh, even think about covering it at the time, thinking of it more being so like fire department PR. And right. I woke up, woke up uh, Monday to a report from a local resident who, who was like, hey, I woke up and I had a burning sensation in my throat. Wow. Um, yeah. And he ended up going down to, I think, a local paint shop. And he bought lead paint test kits. And he said all the tests came back positive for lead. And so that day, I went ahead and, and called him up. And, and we spoke on the phone for about 10 to 15 minutes. And, you know, that was really great to hear it from a local resident who was taking it into his own hands to uh, do something that the you know, the government entities should have done beforehand. He had a friend, his name is Gabriel Filippelli, who is a researcher at IUPY, who has a lab that tests for this kind of stuff. And so he sent it to official testing with Gabriel Filippelli, who said all of them did indeed come back with lead. And we spoke with uh, Filippelli that day too. And interesting enough, you know, we really thought it was important. We reach out to the fire department to get their view on it. And, you know, in, in news, even though somebody's at fault, you, you really do want to reach out to them to get their side of the story. We never heard back from the fire department, unfortunately. 
Well, sometimes a silence might be the best strategy. <laughs> right. On their end, because that's a pretty big mistake. I, I yeah. can't believe that that happened. I mean, you think there's there's structures in place to prevent a catastrophe like that. And and lead uh, poisoning is is no small thing. I mean, not uh, in the least. Right. No. There's a litany of, of side effects and potential hazards and to uh, burn a home and uh, possibly contaminate um, residents with lead. That was a, a big mistake on behalf of the city and the fire and the fire department. It's ironic how all of these stories seem to tie together. Now you're talking about health. Now let's talk about the institution of health here in Bloomington. IU Health Bloomington Hospital no longer is on 2nd Street. It is now over on the bypass. It goes from the center of the city to the east side. There's going to be redevelopment at the old site, but there's going to have to be a lot of remediation first. You know, I live over here by 2nd Street, uh, very near the old hospital site. And it's changed the area already. That traffic that you would get uh, near the hospital is not the same. And um, I think long-term, who knows what this part of town will look like. Um, I believe that IU Health is responsible for the demolition and the city, uh, they, they sold the land to the city, I believe. So the city's yes, gonna- and and responsible for the remediation, the uh, environmental remediation. Right. And that's going to be a very tricky process. I mean, it's a huge building. It's a huge uh, property. And I'm just curious, you know, where that will lead. I have a sneaking suspicion that story will be covered where WFHB News. <laughs> right, right. In 2022. Our guest, the news director here at WFHB, Cade Young. How about back to politics, Cade? Last month, December, both parties here in Monroe County did something historic. The Democratic Party, the outgoing Democratic Party chair, Jennifer Crossley, was chosen by the caucus to become the first black county council member. She's replacing Eric Spoonmore, who left uh, to take another job. I had no idea there had never been a black county council member. Well, county politics is different than the city. You know, I, I would say there's definitely an urban rural divide and it's nice to see someone of color represent that office. Um, and, and it's about time. Well, how about this? The other party, the Republican party, and yes, listeners, there is a Republican party, both here in Monroe County and in Bloomington, the Republican Party chair, longtime chair William Ellis, uh, gave up his seat and the caucus named a brand new chair, 18-year-old Taylor Bryant. And guess what, Cade? She's going to be on Big Talk next week. Wow. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. It's exciting to see young people getting involved in politics. I think that's uh, a great solution. I mean, young people can bring a lot to the table with a sense of idealism and, uh, you know, get things done that people really want. I, I, I like to say objective and unbiased as a news director, but I, I wish her well. Of course. Her efforts. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, the funny thing is, is that way back in 1971, uh, just a couple of months after uh, the 
amendment to the Constitution mandating the 18-year-old vote in all national elections, the first election under that new amendment was right here in Bloomington. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. You were not alive then, maybe. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. I... On the other hand, I believe I was 15 years old then. That was 1971, long time ago. Let's stay with the current things. And here's something very current for you. Just this past fall in 2021, the city of Bloomington and a company named Meridium signed a letter of intent, co-signed a letter of intent to build a high-speed fiber optic open access internet system. That is ambitious. Indeed. Indeed. That is ambitious, especially at a time, you know, in Indiana, that's a, a big problem with, uh, you know, especially in the rural areas, it's, it's hard to get internet access. So that, that is ambitious. Hopefully that democratizes things. Well, when John Hamilton first ran for mayor back in, I believe it would have been 2015, That was one of the big things he ran on, that he was going to get fiber optic throughout the city and open access internet. Hey, that's going to cost a ton of money. Right. And um, I'm I'm not sure. So the city announced this and how do you know where the funds are coming from to, to pay for this? That I don't know at this time. And hey, who knows where money comes for anything in this? And speaking of that, hey, where does that money going to come from? It's going to come from the taxpayers. And there is a possibility that in this coming year, there will be a local income tax increase. See, city controller uh, Jeff Underwood was uh, reporting to the city council this past year, talking about the 2022 budget. And basically, the way he was talking, it seems almost a fait accompli that there would have to be an income tax increase. Well, I mean, anytime a city grows or wants to do things, taxes are going to naturally go up. But I know that's an issue of contention, right? Like voters, typically uh, raising taxes isn't a a great sell point. Um, If you want to get something done, people are generally, you know, not supportive of that. But I think it's a natural thing that happens. But it's, you know, where does that line exist? Who's to say, you know, because if you want good things in your community, positive things, taxes are going to have to go up because, you know, you'll have to, you have to pay for, for public things for somewhere and and what better place than the public. But also, you know, people are generally, um, you know, distrustful of, (laughs) of government running things. So where does that line exist? I, I couldn't tell you. Somewhere somewhere in, in between. As far it's as- called a tightrope, I think. Right. Definitely a tightrope situation there. Now, politics. Uh, 2022 is going to be an off-year election. Off-year meaning there won't be a presidential or gubernatorial election. But uh, there's a few offices, county offices, uh, and some state house offices, and Congress there will be seats up for up for uh, bid for sheriff Brad Swain, uh, the longtime sheriff, has to exit by state law, so he's right. out. But you know what? He is running against Penny Givens 
in the Democratic primary for uh, the Indiana House District number 62. Right. That will be an interesting race. I think Penny uh, announcing her candidacy candidacy was pretty big. Um, You know, what she's running on seems to make sense in this community. How that race will play out, who's to say? And yeah, I, I don't know. They're both big names in this county. Definitely, definitely. Penny in the in the county and Swain here in the city. I will say Swain, uh, reputation wise, and, and I've interviewed Swain before and, and I know Penny. Um, so I, I'm curious um, how that will, will turn out. They uh, will be running against a fellow named Dave Hall. He's the only announced Republican primary candidate. They are all trying to replace incumbent, well, no longer incumbent, the guy who's leaving, Jeff Ellington, who moved to another district and is going to run for office in his new home district. But right. several several other offices, for instance, Prosecutor Erica Oliphant, she's running for re-election. No challengers yet. Assessor Judith Sharp, running for re-election. No challengers yet. Uh, County Clerk Nicole Brown, running for re-election. No challengers yet. It gets a little scary because if you remember, the last mayoral election was an election that wasn't. John Hamilton ran unopposed. They didn't even have a ballot space for the mayor. Makes you wonder about democracy. Right. I don't think that's a good thing for democracy to have a lack of of candidates uh, running against each other. You know, I think dissent is great. And um, somebody should step up and challenge someone that's in office because I don't think looking at Mayor John Hamilton, for example, I don't think he is very representative of the area in terms of belief system. Right. I don't think maybe not even of the Democratic Party here, definitely not the Republican Party. So I think having someone rise to the challenge and and really step up and run against people. Uh, I think ultimately it's a good thing for democracy. Having more options is, is a good thing. Well, speaking of the parties, the U.S. Senate seat, Todd Young, his seat is up for election again. But uh, I have predicted over the past couple of years that Todd, Todd Young just might be a player in the 2024 presidential election. That's an interesting take. I know he um, is pretty vocal. So Todd Young is Republican, but a little more, uh, someone like Todd Young in the Republican Party might be an attractive candidate for those people who maybe are disillusioned by where the party went with Trump. Um, So he may be a contender, um, but I I would say I wouldn't discount that other side of the Republican Party. Uh, The the one in, in favor of Trump, I wouldn't discount that wing of the party to to resurface in 2024. Let's just put it that way. Well, speaking of the Republicans, uh, the member of the U.S. Congress who represents our district, Trey Hollingsworth, he's running again. Uh, He's going to have one of at least two uh, Democratic challengers. Uh, A couple of people. Now, I'm going to probably murder this name here. But I believe this fellow's name is Isaac T. Asare. 
He's an Indiana University professor. He's running for the Democratic nomination against math teacher Matt Fife. But, uh, you know, Trey Hollingsworth did pretty well in the last election against quite an... This edition of Big Talk was recorded only a few hours before Trey Hollingsworth announced he will not run this year for re-election from Indiana's 9th Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. I think that's that's the biggest challenge for Democrats in Indiana. Um, you, you, could have, you could run a great candidate against um, Hollingsworth, but um, it, the numbers just aren't there. And... Um, the, the financial backing of, of Hollingsworth. I know he's not, you know, originally from this area. He's kind of one of those people that move in to uh, become a politician in an area. Uh, some have, have coined it Tennessee Trey. Um, <laughs> and uh, how do how can you go up against a person like that? I don't know. It, it will be interesting how that plays out, but redistricting is another conversation, you know, based on the 2020 census you know, we were talking about that race um, with Ellington, the incumbent, um, who's not going to run in, the in next, this district. Yes. In this district. Yeah. 62. Um, the, the one that we were talking about with Penny Giffins and Swain. Yeah. Um, and, and to flip that blue, that's pretty big with redistricting. But um, there are a lot of pros and cons to how that process was done. Um, I've been in touch with a lot of, you know, activists, people at like common cause Indiana, the league of women voters, they were not thrilled with how the, the lines were drawn behind closed doors, but it might, um, you know, benefit, uh, Democrats here in Bloomington. If, you know, a Democrat will likely win that district. It seems more and more likely that that will happen. So it's interesting how that will play out. Now here's a story that has national implications, but it does affect us here locally news is a whole new ball game. And you know what's dying, Cade? You know it as well as I do, newspapers. Can WFHB News work with some of these new independent news gatherers like, say, the Bloomingtonian or the Limestone Post or the B-Square Bulletin? Does the news department want to do something like that? The short answer is yes. But to your point about newspapers sort of being, you know, uh, sort of dying out, the, the Bloomington Herald Times has been here forever. That is a historic paper. And when they get bought out by uh, Gannett, I think that's who owns them now. I mean, that's that's happening in, in newsrooms across the country, uh, especially in newspapers. And that conglomerate big, you know, big media, I, I don't think is good for a community. I'm grateful to be working for, you know, a local independent source of uh, news gathering at WFHB. And, and you're right. There's a, a small ecosystem of that happening here with organizations like the Limestone Post, uh, B-Square Bulletin. Uh, you mentioned the Bloomingtonian. Um, these are our local independent sources of media. And I would love to see us all come, come together and create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. Our guest this week, Cade Young, the news director here at WFHB, we have been talking about what went on in 2021, what might be going on in 2022. Thank you so much for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me.